Open your copy of God's Word to Psalm 91, please. Psalm 91. Follow with me as I read, please. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The story is told of a preacher who had a conversation with a trapeze artist. The performer admitted the net underneath was there to keep the trapeze artists from breaking their necks. Then he added, the net also keeps us from falling. Imagine that there is no net. We would be so nervous that we would be more likely to miss and fall. If there was not a net, we would not dare to do some of the things we do. But because there is a net, we dare to make two turns, and once I made three turns, thanks to the net. The preacher replied, We have security in God. When we are sure in his arms, we dare to attempt big things for God. We dare to be holy. We dare to be obedient. We dare because we know the eternal arms of God will hold us if we fall. It's this kind of safety net that the psalmist describes for us here in the 91st Psalm. This man could dare to be obedient to God he could dare to trust God in the most fearful circumstances because he trusted in God and not himself. In the words of the prophet Jeremiah, he trusted the Lord rather than trusting in himself. The Lord his God was his trust. Is the Lord your God your safety net? Or do you have a lot of man-made safety nets? 
backup plans in case things don't go right? Or do you have a simple childlike trust in God that began at the moment of your salvation whereby you forsook all of your safety nets and you ran to the only one who could be your eternal safety net? Is he your safety net? Or do you walk through this life following Christ, but you've got some backup plans in case he doesn't come through? You've got some safety nets because you're not quite sure he's going to keep all of the promises that he made to you. The challenge of Psalm 91 is forsake your safety nets. Don't be like Adam and Eve, which, of course, we all are like, (laughs) sewing the fig leaves together to hide our guilt and shame. Instead, we sew safety nets to place underneath us in case, perchance, God's word fails us. God's promises don't quite come through the way that we thought they would. Are we willing to walk by this kind of faith? That's the challenge for us in Psalm 91. Is the Lord our God our trust? Is he our ultimate safety net. Psalm 91 is a refuge psalm. What that means is it exalts the Lord as the sovereign security for those who know him and who walk by faith. It's a beautiful picture of the safety experienced by those who know the Lord and trust him. It's also a messianic psalm, which I uh, explained to you last Sunday, What that means is it finds its fulfillment in the Messiah. Psalm 91 finds its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our ultimate sovereign security. Last Sunday, we focused our attention on the first eight verses, and there we envisioned the Lord as our shelter, the shelter to dwell in and our shadow to hide in. The writer of the psalm testifies of how when he was controlled by fear, he ran to the Lord. He rested in the Lord. He found strength and security in God and not in himself. Isn't it wonderful that the Lord Jesus Christ, as the image of the invisible God, is for us a shadow that we can hide in? Isn't it wonderful that he has promised his presence? I am with you always. I will never leave you or forsake you. He said, here's my word, now follow it. And by the way, you don't have to follow it alone. I'll be right beside you. I'll send my spirit to be in you. My presence is guaranteed. In the first two verses, if you look back there, you notice that God is introduced to us as our sovereign security. And there are two titles that uh, the psalmist uses, that of Most High and Almighty. And both of them speak of God's sovereign power and his rulership over the world. So when we are afraid, we can dwell in the shelter of the Most High or El Elyon, one of the names for God. God is our strong tower. He is the sovereign one. He is exalted above creation, above the nations, above every human ruler, above 
all of our little gods, little G-gods, all of our little man-made safety nets. He's above them all. He's above all of his enemies. He's also El Elyon, the Almighty. He is the one who is strong and mighty and deserves our submissive faith. And when we run to him, we find rest for our souls. He is the one who nourishes and satisfies and meets all of our needs. He is our shelter. He is our hiding place when storms come upon us. I grew up in Wisconsin, and I was very familiar with tornadoes and tornado watches and tornado warnings and There are many, many times, I cannot remember how many times, mom or dad or both said, get to the basement now. And we would go to the basement, and there we would find shelter. And there would be this little battery-powered radio tuned to the weather station or just plain old radio station, keeping us updated on what was going on. I remember one time in particular, I was praying, playing outside with my neighbor uh, friend, Jeff, who lived down the hill from us, and I uh, remember all of a sudden the sky turning this very eerie shade of gray, and it just felt weird. And my dad running out of the house, down the hill, screaming at us, get into the basement. And as I was running from Jeff's yard to our yard, I looked and saw this black cloud beginning to form over the sod farm that was just a couple miles from our house. And as this storm began to pick up that black soil, this black tornado began to form. And it was all over in a few minutes. When we came up from the basement, there was still that eerie silence out in the yard. I remember seeing a few things tipped over, but the weirdest thing of all is going next door in the neighbor's driveway and finding our redwood rocking chair, our favorite outdoor rocking chair. We all fought over it. This little redwood rocking chair sitting perfectly in the middle of their driveway. No damage done to it. Tornado came up and over our house, picked up that rocking chair and placed it in the neighbor's driveway. Incredible. We were safe. We were safe in the basement shelter. Perhaps you grew up in that kind of a Climate, and you know what tornado shelters are like and what they're for, obviously. But the whole point is where do you run when the storms of life come? Do you run to the Lord or do you run away from the Lord? I mean, there's a sense in which that's where salvation begins for every one of us. We have to come to that place where we stop running to all of our self-made safety nets 
in all of our self-made shelters, and, and we say in light of what God's word says to us, no safety net I could ever knit together would be strong enough to save me from my sin and to uphold me for all of eternity, and therefore I run to Jesus as my ultimate safety net. And that then begins the Christian life. It's that childlike faith. It's that childlike trust. It's that that evidence of repentance whereby we are running away from our man-made shelters to the only shelter who is strong enough to save us. And that's really what our Christian life is about. Over and over and over, the Lord challenges us. What are your idols, Paul? What are your safety nets, Paul? What are you relying on? What are you trusting in more than you're trusting in me? Are you willing to forsake those and trust only in me? And that's what the Lord is working on us about. Forsake all shelters of unbelief and run instead to the only one who is trustworthy. And that's why the psalmist could say, personal testimony, verse 2, I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God, my safety net, my shadow, my shelter, this is where I run. I don't run away from the Lord. I run to the Lord. And so the psalmist is declaring this very simple truth that we find security and safety only in the Lord by following his word. This is his testimony. Is this your testimony? Verse 2. Is verse 2 your testimony? I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Then in verses 3 through 8, we notice some of the uh, ways that God is our sovereign security. That's the first part of the writer's sermon. We learned in verse 3 of how God says, I will save you. He will save us from the trapper. He will save us from insidious attacks against our life and against our soul. In, In the Bible, we find that there are three chief enemies the world, the flesh, and the devil. Two of them come to us from the outside. One comes from within. The most dangerous of the three is the one within, is the sinful flesh. Some of you are not convinced of that. You think the devil is your greatest enemy. And so you're looking for a devil behind every bush when things go wrong. Or you think the world is your greatest enemy. And you think that the world is your child's greatest enemy. And you fail to realize that our greatest enemy lives within us. It is our sinful flesh. It is our rebellious nature. It is the heart that must be changed by God. That's our greatest enemy. And Jesus Christ fulfills what we need. He is the salvation that is promised in this psalm. 
And when then we come to know the Lord Jesus, he becomes then our shield. And that's pictured there in verse 4, the, how God covers us with his pinions, that picture there of a mother bird who is, who is sheltering her young. That's what God does for us. Our ultimate comfort and shelter come not from human beings in our life, but from the Lord. Doesn't come from any kind of earthly security. It comes from the Lord. And then in verses 5 and 6, we saw how the Lord uh, shelters us. And he gives a bunch of different examples of the circumstances that strike terror into our hearts. But he says in verse 5, you will not fear these things. How is that possible? Well, it's only possible if verse 2 is true of you and your heart. That the Lord is your refuge. The Lord is your fortress. And then we notice in verse 8 how God sustains us. He keeps us safe. We look on and see the judgment of the wicked, but because of Christ, we are not judged. We are not condemned like the world. Jesus has already borne our judgment on the cross, and therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the big idea this morning is this, the same as last week, because it's the theme of the psalm. God is the sovereign security for those who trust and obey him. God is our sovereign security. But we only experience that sovereign security through trust and obedience. As simple as it may sound at first, the, the old hymn really did get it right. It comes down to trusting and obeying the Lord. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sigh or a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends, we will go, never fear, only trust and obey. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Oh, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. As simple as that song is and sounds, it really does capture the essence of the refuge psalms. Every single one of God's commands falls into those two categories, trust or obey. God says, trust me. 
I will be with you always. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. And he says, obey me. My words will never misdirect you. Follow me. God is the sovereign security for those who trust in him. So today, let's look at the second part of his sermon, verses 9 through 13. And here we see three more reasons God is worthy of our trust. Number one, God will safeguard you. God will safeguard you. And what you'll notice in these three reasons to trust God You'll, you'll see this overarching theme again, which is the theme of this refuge psalm and so many others. And that is that walking with God is the only way to find peace and rest. We live in a world where people are running here and there and everywhere trying to find peace, trying to find rest. And the reason they're doing that is because they're trusting in their own safety nets to catch them if they will fall instead of trusting in the Lord, saying, Lord, you are wiser than I am, and I'll trust you, and I'll follow you. God will safeguard you. Look at verse 9. He repeats the testimony he said earlier, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent. And so he says, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place as I have made the Lord my dwelling place, this is what will be true of you. This is what you will experience. It's not that none of these things will happen to us. That's not the point of the psalm. It's not the point of any of the refuge psalms. We live in a broken, dangerous world where we experience many, many difficult things. The Lord doesn't say, I'm going to keep you from ever experiencing those. What he does say is, I'm going to keep you while you are in the midst of those things. Rest in me. I've got you. I'm holding you. I am your safety net. No reason to panic. No reason to knit up your own safety nets. I'll take care of you. Here is Elion again in verse 9, the strong and sovereign one who deserves our submissive faith. And the whole point again is when you make the Lord your dwelling place, then that is your ultimate safety. That is your ultimate security. Steve Lawson describes this as an unassailable position of total reliance. That's what's pictured here. And therefore, if if this is what the path of blessing is, then we ought to thank the Lord for the times that he brings us to the utter end of ourselves. Where we have nowhere to turn except to him. And he becomes then our absolute place of reliance. All of the difficulties that are mentioned in this psalm are ineffective at conquering the person who has truly embraced Jesus as their ultimate safety net. 
And this is the security that the Apostle Paul describes in that triumphant end to the eighth chapter of Romans when he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter how long you've known the Lord, you can testify that in all of the difficulties that you've ever experienced, the Lord has never failed you. He has never failed you, and he never will fail you. He is worthy of your trust. There's a second reason to trust and obey. God will secure you, verses 11 and 12. God will secure you. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Here angels are revealed to us as being servants of God to guard us. And and the psalmist says, God commands them to come to our aid. And the scripture says, we are not conscious of all of the times in which the Lord has done this for us. These invisible messengers, these invisible guardians that God commands to protect us. The author of Hebrews calls angels ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. God sends out his angels, invisible servants of God, more powerful than any Marvel superhero. And they protect us. They guard us. This, of course, should never lead to the worship of angels. It should lead to the worship of the one who loves us so much that he would send us his invisible servants to protect us. There was a time my wife and I were driving home from my grandmother's funeral on a long, very narrow country highway in Wisconsin. And um, we were just going along, you know, and all of a sudden, split second, there's a pickup truck in our lane coming straight for me. And the Lord, you know, helped me to swerve off the road. And we went just down this embankment and through a ditch, and landed this far from a barbed wire fence where cows were pasturing. It didn't phase them because they actually walked up to us. <laughs> but the whole time we were sliding down that embankment, 
there was this sense in which we were about to flip over at any moment. Later, I said to my wife, I said, I think there was a 300-pound angel (laughs) sitting on top of our car (laughs) at that moment. Unbelievable. We were towed, our Ford Taurus station wagon was pulled out of that ditch, back up under the highway, and we drove home. Amazing. I don't know if there was a massive angel on top of our car or not. But God does protect us. He keeps us safe. Interesting that these verses, look at them again, 11 and 12. These are actually the verses that Satan used to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. When I read through them the first time, they may have sounded familiar to you. The Gospel of Luke explains it, that he took, that Satan took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So Satan yanked those verses out of Psalm 91, but this is what Jesus said to him. It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You need to recognize that Satan will encourage you to test the Lord, to doubt his word, to tempt the Lord, which is a very foolish thing to do. The devil tried to manipulate Jesus into foolishly misapplying scripture by taking this 500-foot leap of faith off of the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you are the Son of God, then throw yourself down, for it is written. But the living word of God, the Lord Jesus, quoted other scripture back to him. From Deuteronomy, where we read of how Israel put God to the test by demanding that Moses produce water for them. They were done with following God in the wilderness. They were done with following his word. And they said, show us a sign. Then, maybe, we'll follow God. Do not test the Lord. Do not tempt him. It's a very dangerous place for you to be. But if you are tempted to put God to the test, you need to remind yourself of who you are in Christ. You do need to remind yourself of who he says you are. You are the recipient of all of his promises and the commands to trust him. And if you know Christ, then the spirit who indwells you will give you the power to obey the Lord There are many times I've ministered to people as a pastor 
in a personal ministry of the word kind of way that we call counseling or soul care or intensive discipleship where a person will hear what God's word says and say, I can't, I just can't. I'm here to say to you, based upon the word of God, if God has commanded something of you, directed you, he commands you in his word to submit to him, to follow his way. And you also know the Lord Jesus Christ in a genuine saving way. Then there is no I can't in your vocabulary when it comes to obeying God. The spirit of the living Christ dwells within you. You can. You can. You can trust him enough to follow him. Do not put God to the test by doubting him or stalling your obedience. Faith, by definition, takes risk. When true faith is present, obedience follows. It is that faith-inspired action of obedience that God loves. That's how a Bible question website defines faith and connects it to obedience. Let me read it to you again. Faith, by definition, takes risk. When true faith is present, obedience follows. It is that faith-inspired action of obedience that God loves. I mean, what's the alternative to trusting God? Trusting yourself? Let me ask you, who is more trustworthy? God or yourself? (laughs) There's a third reason to trust and obey. God will strengthen you, verse 13. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. How in the world could verse 13 be possible for us? Well, we find the answer in Christ. Remember, this is a messianic psalm, finds its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus, the one who is ultimately pictured here. Listen to how William MacDonald explains it. It is interesting that Satan stopped before coming to this verse. If he had quoted it, he would have been describing his own doom. The devil is presented in Scripture as a roaring lion and as an ancient serpent. And what does Christ do to the lion and the serpent? You will tread on the lion. You will trample the serpent underfoot. And isn't that what Jesus has done for us in conquering the devil and accomplishing our salvation? He has stomped upon the serpent and he has crushed the head of the lion. What great victory belongs to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the only one powerful enough to stomp out the devil. 
And so if you know Christ, then you can walk in that victory, the victory that he has already accomplished for you. And this is evident of true faith. This evidence of trusting him then leads to abundant fruitfulness. It leads to the sovereign security that is promised in Psalm 91. Look with me at uh, one of my favorite, all-time favorite passages of Scripture. Turn to the right in your Bible, just a few books, to Jeremiah 17. I want you to see the contrast between trusting in yourself and trusting in the Lord. Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 10. Thus says the Lord, I'm in Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an un inhabited salt land. That's the picture, the word picture of the one who trusts in themselves. But then look at the contrast. Verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. See the two different safety nets? Verses five and six, the safety net is yourself. Trusting in man. What does that lead to? Barrenness. Trusting in yourself, your own wisdom, your own resources, your own strength leads to spiritual barrenness, a field filled with thorns. But trusting in the Lord leads you beside quiet waters and there you receive all that you need and the roots of your life then run down into that beautiful soil that is enriched with the blessings of God and results in great fruitfulness. Beware then that you don't trust in yourself because verse 9 goes on, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways according to the fruits of his deeds. Hundreds of times a day, we find ourselves at a fork in the road, whereby we have to make a choice between these two safety nets, ourselves, our own wisdom, our own resources, our own strength, or the Lord, who is infinite in resources, 
infinite in strength, infinite in wisdom. And isn't it a great comfort that the one who knows us the best loves us the most? Think about that. He knows everything about you. He knows your past. He knows the things you've done and the things that have been done to you. He knows your present. He knows every bit of everything that you are going through. And he who knows you best loves you most. Is he not worthy of your trust? Is he not worthy of your obedience? He is. He is worthy. God, we thank you. We thank you so much for being our refuge and strength, our shadow, the one that we can run to and hide in. Lord, you know how weak we are. You know how sinful and frail we are. You know how tempted we are to create our own safety nets, our own backup plans, in case things that you have said are not going to go right. I know how silly it is for us, how foolish it is for us. For we know that you have never failed us, not once. And you never will fail us. You are our ultimate protector. You are our shield, our strength, our guide. You are worthy of our trust, which means then, Lord, that you are also worthy of our obedience because the two go hand in hand. Lord, take your word and just deeply deeply cause it to be ministered by your spirit into our innermost being that we will see our false man-made inferior safety nets and we will repent of them and we will come back to you and trust in you. Do your wonderful work of grace in us, we pray, by the power of your Spirit, the Spirit who was given to us by the Lord Jesus himself. In his name we pray. Amen.